as a pastor here, I beg you to pray. That's where I started last week. We must pray. And I mean that individually and corporately. We must pray. I ask you if you are part of the church to join with us in these 21 days of prayer, fasting. If you had a good week in doing that, praise God. If you struggled, praise God as you struggled. If you didn't start, there's two weeks left. There's not a, it's not a, if you didn't start on day one, then you can't participate. There's a power, I believe, in the people of God in a church praying the same passages, listening to the same psalm songs, one focus. I think there's still some prayer journals on the back table. I encourage you to pick up one of those and write the things down that God speaks to you during this time. Ask Christ to speak to you during this time. You can go to the church app and click on the prayer guide button and you'll, you'll see the daily list of what we're praying. But when I, I say to you that I, I beg you to pray, I want to be clear and what we're going to see in this text today is the goal is not prayer. The goal is not to pray. The goal is not even to be a praying person or a praying church. The goal is Jesus. The goal is to be with Jesus. I beg you to pray as a primary means in which we abide with Jesus. I implore you to pray as a church as a primary way in which this, this body of believers comes together in the presence of God even when we are separated. The goal of this time of setting aside a month to pray is that when we get to the end of this month, that Christ would have worked in your heart, that you would have so enjoyed being with Him that when you get to the twenty to the end of the twenty-one days, you don't say, "Okay, well, that was great until next year." You say, "No, I want to keep going. I want to keep." Fasting. I want to keep getting up early. I want to keep staying up late. I want to keep giving up lunch. I want to keep going because I've so enjoyed being with Jesus. And if that in your mind seems so far away, like you can't even fathom that kind of experience, He will give it to you if you will pursue Him. He is not a respecter of persons. If you have faith and you pursue Him, He will meet with you. And so I implore you to pray as a means of being with Christ. I want to go back for a moment to the psalm that we 
that we looked at yesterday, if you have been reading along as we're doing psalms each day, there's an assigned psalm for us to read. And yesterday was Psalm 15. If you have a Bible, if you'll go to Psalm 15 for a moment, this was the text from yesterday. And if you don't have a Bible, there is at least one on the back table. That's our gift to you, and we have more if they're needed. Essentially, Psalm 15, when you read it, the question that is posed to us is, who gets to live with God? Who gets to be with God? Who gets to dwell with Him? Who gets to abide with Him? Who gets to live with Him? That's, that's really how David opens up the psalm. He asks that question, O oh Lord, who will sojourn with you in, in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? God, who gets to be with you? Who gets to live with you? And then, David answers that. Verse 2, he says, it's the one who has a blameless lifestyle. Who lives blamelessly. One who does what is right always. Does the right things. The good things. Not by worldly standards, but by God's standards. It's the one who has truth in his heart and speaks it. Verse 3 says, it's the one who because of the truth in his heart does not slander other people by what they say. It's the one who chooses to not harm their neighbor. It's the one who doesn't discredit their friends. Verse 4 says, it's the one who calls evil, evil. who believes in what is good and doing what is right and doesn't look at evil in the world and say, I approve of that. It is the one who loves the people of God. Who looks at God's people, looks at His church and honors them in their heart. It's the one who keeps His word even to His own hurt. No matter the cost, He keeps His Word. It's the one who does not change based on circumstance or the day. Verse 5, it's the one who isn't generous for what he can get back to earn favor with someone or interest. It's the one who would never take a bribe or be swayed to speak against the innocent because it would somehow benefit them. The person who does these things will never be moved because they will live with God forever. Now here's my question. What do you do with that? When you get to the end of Psalm 15, what do you do with that? Because this is not you. This is not me. So, if this is the person who gets to live with God, none of us get to live with God. If you read Psalm 15 and you say, well, I, I better get to work. Let me get this list out. 
Let me start trying to make sure I'm doing all these things. That's religious practice. And one, one mess up, one sin, one breaking of this law means you can't live with God. So what do we do with Psalm 15? We take ourselves to Luke. We put ourselves on the road to Emmaus. We picture Jesus walking with His disciples who do not recognize Him after His resurrection. We see Him asking them, what are you talking about? What's going on? We, we see them telling Him about Jesus and how they thought that He would be the one who would save everyone. And then we see this picture where Jesus begins to teach them. And the Bible says He goes back to the Old Testament. And while they walk down this road, Jesus begins to unfold for them from Moses all the way through the prophets how the Scriptures were about Him. This psalm is not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. How does Psalm 15 lead you to Jesus? You can ask that question of this psalm. You can ask that question of every psalm you read because all of the Old Testament points you to Jesus. How does this psalm lead you to Jesus? Because He's the only one who has ever done all of these things perfectly. This description in Psalm 15 is the description of Jesus Christ that we just sang about. This is Him. He gets to dwell with God. He gets to live on the holy hill because He is the one who has walked blamelessly and done what is right. He is the one who has spoken truth from His heart. He is the one who never slandered with His tongue. He is the one who did no evil to His neighbor. He is the one who does not discredit His friends. He is the one who does not call evil good. He is the one who honors the church he is the one who keeps His promises even to His own death. He is the one who does not give so He can get back. He is the one who would never be swayed against the innocent. He is the one who will never be moved. This is about Jesus. So how does that help us? How does it help us that Psalm 15 is all about Jesus? How does it help those men on the road to Emmaus that Jesus explains all the Old Testament is about Him? Because in Romans chapter 3, we are told in verse 20, that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God. No person will be justified because they go to Psalm 15 and they try to keep those rules. And then verse 21 says, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. In other words, wait, don't give up. There is a way. It is not your obedience. It's not 
the law, there's another path. You're not going to get there by being this person in Psalm 15 because you're not and you can't be. But there is another path. What is it? It's not the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The path isn't obedience of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament points to the path. It is, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The path is you believe in the One that Psalm 15 describes. You believe that He lived that life. You believe that He went to the cross and kept His Word to save His people at the cost of His life for you. And you believe that death did not conquer Him, but He conquered death. On the third day, He rose again. And He is, as we learned last week right now, in a bodily form. He is not disembodied in the ascension, but He is in His resurrected body right now. He is at the right hand of God. He intercedes for all who look to Him. That's the path. Faith. Just believe in Jesus. Believe that He will save me. Believe He will forgive me. Believe that He is real and that He will listen when I pray. Yes. Is that astounding? Yes. Is it beyond human comprehension? Yes. Which is why if you believe it, it is because God has opened your heart to believe it. It is a miracle that only He could do. That's the path that all of the Old Testament points to. It's Jesus. It's faith in Him. It's looking at Psalm 15 and getting to the end of it and saying, Jesus, this is not me. I will never live with God. But I believe Your Word says there's a different path that I can take and it's to look to You and cling to You. So that's what I'm doing. I don't even know exactly what that means, but that's the path I want to walk. So I'm going to start down that path of faith and I'm going to trust that You're going to be there. And to all who believe in that way, they will be saved. To all who cry out to Him in that way, He will meet them and they will be saved. That's the path. That's how the psalm leads you to Jesus. It's how the Psalm 16 today leads you to Jesus. It's how the psalms this week, if you will give yourself to reading them each day, you can say, how does this lead me to Jesus? And you will find Him there. And you can see this in Colossians. I want you to look at three things if you're a note taker in your worship guide. The Colossians talks about right standing with God. It talks about this righteousness that is available to us by faith. And it speaks of it in three ways. I want you to see all of them. First of all, Colossians teaches us that the true believer, the one who has cried out to Christ from his heart and asked to be saved, the believer is in Christ. Colossians 1-2, it's how Paul opens up the letters. To the saints, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a, it's a term, it means your 
faith is in Him, you are in Christ. However your mind can grasp that concept, when you picture what that means, you are in Him by faith. But not just that you are in Christ, but secondly, Christ is in the believer. It's another way that Paul puts it. Colossians 1.27 He's talking about this mystery. I'll back up to, to, uh, to 25. He's talking about the Gospel. I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to the saints. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the mysterious parts of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he says here, this mystery, what was hidden in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints, is now being revealed to you. And here is the mystery. The mystery is verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are in Christ in faith, and by faith Christ is in you. That's the mystery. That's what all of the Old Testament points to. Not that you would keep the rules, but that you would look to the One who kept the rules. You would look to the obedient One. You would have faith in Him. Your trust would be in Him. You're in Him. And the mystery, the riches of the glory, the mystery is that Christ comes into your heart. He lives in you. It's not just that you can go and be near the Spirit of God in the temple. It is that the Spirit of God now dwells in you. The law of the Old Testament is written on your heart and you are the temple of God. The believer is in Christ. Christ is in the believer. This is righteousness. And the believer now with Christ, in Christ and Christ in the believer, the believer with Christ is in God. Colossians 3.3 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Who gets to dwell with God? Who gets to live with God? Jesus and all of those who are in Jesus. And Jesus is in them. Christ and that person is in God. That's righteousness. That's right standing. That is yours. One way and one way only. Faith. You must believe what I just said. You don't have to believe that I said it perfectly. But you must believe what I just said, that that's the path. And you must believe it with all of your heart and you must cry out to Jesus to be saved. And that's the path to live with God forever on this earth and in eternity. So I want you to take that whole picture. And now, 
I want you to bring that whole picture into Colossians 2 in this text today. Therefore, when you see that word, what you understand, anytime you see therefore, that is telling you that he is about, the writer, in this case Paul, is about to give you instructions or give you teaching based on what he just said. So he's just made an argument, and now based on that argument, he's going to give you instructions. The argument that he has just made, is what we looked at last week, is that you, in that faith that I have just described to you, you have been buried with Christ in baptism. The whole picture is you have died. Your old life, the old way of doing things, the old way of thinking, it's, it must be dead. This is not a slight tweak of your life. This is radical transformation. You are now dead to the world and things of the world, the life in the world and your old way of thinking. You're dead to that. It doesn't mean that it's gone from your recognition. It doesn't mean that you're going to struggle, not struggle with it. It does mean that the power of the old life has been severed by the Holy Spirit. It also means that you must constantly look at your life and say, you know what, I'm, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that sin. I'm dead to that temptation. I'm dead to that way of thinking. I'm going to repent. I'm going to keep going. I'm dead to it. So you have died, been buried with Him in baptism, and then you were raised with Him through faith. Verse 12, raised with Him through faith, the faith we were just talking about, in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. So now he's saying that because of that, because you have died to the old life, the old way of thinking, the old system of the Old Testament, of gaining God or thinking you can gain God by regulations and rules and obedience to commands because you know that you can't look at Psalm 15 and keep the verses and, and dwell with God. You're dead to that. So now, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. So what is he saying here? Remember that the primary reasons that Paul is writing to Colossae is because there is some false teaching that's made its way into the church. It has been debated for centuries exactly what this false teaching is. We don't know. It seems to be a mixture of some or different false teachings that we know about, but it's not one concrete that people can just point to and say, yes, that, that's prosperity gospel there. Like, we have a name for it. There's probably some local, localized false teaching that was a mixture of several different ideas and philosophies in the culture, but one of them was probably some mixture of the Jewish religion and Jewish background. Because he mentions here, Festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. And so he's telling the church, obviously there are people among you who are trying to pass judgment on you because you are not keeping with 
the Old Testament rules as your means to avoid judgment. You're not looking to your rule keeping of what to eat or not eat, what to drink or not drink, what festivals to keep and and honor and how to behave on the Sabbath. You're not looking to those things for salvation anymore and they are judging you because of that. They are coming to you and saying, you're going to be judged, you're going to die in your sin because you're not keeping the regulations and the rules. And Paul is telling the church, don't let them do that. Don't listen to that. You're dead to that. That is not the path. The path is Jesus. Faith in Him. And he says, every one of those things, it's not that they were bad, but they were a shadow of the substance. The substance, this word can actually be body, which fits really well. A body with a shadow. You can picture, if you will, Christ standing in the New Testament and casting a shadow into and over the Old Testament. And the people in the Old Testament, they could see the shadow, but the shadow was not where their trust would ultimately be. The shadow was to lead them to the body, the person, Christ. And now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Paul is saying, the mystery of that shadow has been revealed to you. You are such blessed recipients to know the mystery because the shadow has taken you to the substance. So now because of that, don't trust in the shadow anymore. Trust in the substance. Trust in the body. Trust in Christ. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. That word there, it's using language as if you were participating in a sporting event or a race and you do something to get disqualified in the race, taken out of the race so you don't get to finish it. Let no one disqualify you by insisting on asceticism, which is severe discipline of the body. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, That's probably odd to us. Like, why would we worship angels? But apparently, at least part of this philosophy and false teaching that Colossae was dealing with had to do with worship of angelic beings. And maybe what the false teachers were saying was, you need to humble yourself through severe discipline of your body, asceticism, you need to humble yourself, depriving yourself probably of food and drink, Don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Deprive yourself of those things so that you will have favor with these spiritual forces, these angels, which they talk about going on in detail about visions. Probably them saying, we've seen these angelic beings. We've seen these angels. We've seen these spiritual forces. And now we're telling you how to reach them and how to please them. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail about their visions, puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. In other words, proud of themselves, looking at you and saying, I've got the way to spiritual experience. I've got the way to God. 
You need to bow to these spiritual forces in addition to Jesus. Discipline yourself severely to please them. And Paul is saying, don't let them disqualify you. Because if you look to that path, then you are going off of the path to Jesus. And that path will not end in you successfully running your race. It will not end in you dwelling with God. You will be disqualified. Why? Look at verse 19. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Here's the whole problem with these false teachers. Here's the whole problem with this way of thinking. It doesn't focus on Christ. I name the sermon today, Keep Right Focus. Because that's what Paul's saying. Keep your mind on Christ. Look to Christ because He's your only path. These false teachers, these people that are coming in and they're telling you, you've got to keep these rules. You've got to keep these regulations. You've got to severely discipline yourself. You've got to please these angelic forces. They are convincing you with their visions and telling you all the great things that they've seen and experienced. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't listen to them. Because they're not holding to Jesus. They're not pointing to Jesus. You don't grow the church through rules and regulations. You don't build the church by your obedience to the commands of the Old Testament. The church is built by God through faith in Christ. Every joint, every ligament, which is the members of the body that we have been brought together universally, but then locally, God's put you in this church at this time in this season, so you're the joints and the ligaments. It is the head. So the head is Jesus, and that whole body is nourished and knit together. Jesus is the one who is providing for this body. Jesus is the one who is putting us all together. Jesus is the one who is distributing by the Holy Spirit the gifts the body needs. It's Jesus and then God, by your clinging to Christ and looking to Christ, God is making the whole thing grow. You're not going to grow your church. You're not going to reach people. You're not going to have unity. You're not going to have love by your rules and regulations. It's going to be by faith in Christ. I had you look around last week. There were a lot more empty seats last week. Praise God, more are filled this week. But I had you look around and I said, do you want these seats filled? Do you want people to be coming to know Christ? Do you want this church to be growing spiritually and in Number as we reach people, and if the answer is yes, I said you must pray. But remember, it's not you must pray because prayer is the thing that will cause the growth. We must pray because it is faith in Jesus that will cause all of it to grow. And prayer is how we abide. So then, verse 20, if with Christ you died to these elemental spirits of the world, it's the very elements of nature that he's talking about. And saying if you've died to the natural way of thinking, which if you're honest with yourself, our natural way of thinking 
is usually along the lines of rule keeping. I'm going to do well. I'm going to grow. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to be spiritually minded. The church is going to go deeper, be bigger by doing things and working hard and rule keeping. That's the natural way of thinking. And he says, if with Christ you died to these elemental spirits of the world, as if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So obviously some people in Colossae were giving in to this. And so his, his question is, so why are you doing that? If you've been raised with Christ, if you're dead to that old path, then why, why are you giving in? Why are you submitting to that again? Regulations like, don't, don't touch that, don't taste that, don't handle that. Referring to all things that perish when they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Alright, so why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I want to say to you that this text takes us down a path that is very narrow, and it is so narrow, and on either side of this path, you can fall into error. So, so there is a, an error, there's a side of this that, that we would fall into. It's rule keeping. My religion, Christianity, being godly is, is all about what I do or don't do. So don't handle this, don't touch this, don't taste this. I'll say to you, Anytime you say something or you think something like Christians wouldn't do that or say that or think that way, it's shaky ground. Anytime you go to define a Christian by something other than faith in Christ, it's really, really shaky ground. I'm, I'm not even saying that what you're what you're talking about or promote I'm not even saying that like it's 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 okay. You know, you might you might say something like oh, you know what? Christians Christians would never watch a movie like that. Christians would never listen to that kind of music. Again, I'm not telling you what pleases God or, or doesn't please God in the life of a believer. I think all of us should think through those things, but I'm telling you the moment you start saying Christians aren't going to handle this, touch this, taste this, and you leave out faith in Christ. It is shaky, shaky, unstable ground because Christianity and our faith is about Jesus. It's about trusting in Jesus. Now, on the other side is the error of assuming that there's no place in your spiritual life for discipline, for being obedient, for thinking through things like, as a believer, what should I listen to? What should I watch? What should I say and do? Paul would teach in another letter, all things may be lawful for you. That doesn't mean all things are helpful for you. That doesn't mean all things are good for you. So there's the error of just saying, I'm a Christian. 
I can do whatever I want. And we big church words, we got legalism and we got antinomianism. Legalism is keep the rules, antinomianism is there are no rules. Do whatever you want. Paul is walking us down a narrow path. But that path is look at Christ. Church, if you abide with Jesus, if you pray to Jesus, if you stay in the word of Jesus, he will keep you. He will keep you. Look to Him. Have faith in Him. These things, these people that say, keep the rules. These rules are really important. This is how we get to God is we keep the precepts, the, the wisdom of the human teachers and we keep these regulations. He says that it may appear to be really wise. It may have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Self-made religion is probably religion from self and by self. It's where you have faith. It's where you live your Christian life from your own will and your own power and you live it by your own will and your own power. But he says there's no value in these acts of asceticism in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We'll make the case to you in just a moment, wrapping up, that spiritual discipline is good. Okay, Prayer. I started this sermon saying I beg you to pray. But your trust is not in prayer. Your trust is in Jesus that prayer leads you to. Alright. I'm going to tight walk a line here for a moment. Tight walk this one. Hear what I say carefully and let me be careful with my words so that I don't get ran out of here as a heretic. This is the Word of God. This Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There is a tie between this Word and Christ that you cannot separate. Christ said, you abide in Me and My Word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Because our abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us is directly tied to this Word that's all about Him. But your trust is in Christ who this Word became in the flesh. It's not in black and white sheets of paper. My case to you about that is some of the best, I won't say best theologians, but some of the most profound sounding theologians People who know Scripture really, really well, speak it really, really well, are agnostics and atheists and people who have twisted the Word to make it what they want it to say. The Sadducees and Pharisees knew all of the Old Testament so well, but they never found Christ. 
Prayer leads us to Jesus. This Word leads us to Jesus. They are means that God has given us to come to know Christ. But we always have to be telling ourselves that our trust and our faith is in Jesus. Don't put your trust in how much Bible you know. Put your trust in knowing Christ that the Bible brings you to. You, you could look at someone, someone could come to you, and, or you could know someone's a leader, and you could know about their life, and they get up every morning at 4 a.m., and they spend two and a half or three hours praying, and they read six chapters of the Bible, and they've memorized an entire book, and they, they, they go to work, they sing songs throughout their day, And then when they go to bed at night, they kneel beside their bed for an hour and a half and they say prayers before they go to bed. And you could look at that person and say, what an incredible, wise and religious and strong believer that person must be because you see all of the things that they're doing. And then one day you find out that for years while they were doing those things, they were having multiple affairs on their wife. They were cheating their neighbor. And you go, why? How could that have happened? And my submission to you is because their trust is in, their trust was in what they were doing, not in the person that what they were doing was supposed to lead them to. Their trust wasn't in Jesus. Their trust was in their asceticisms and their disciplines. Keep the focus on Christ. Keep the focus on Him. And let everything that you do, as you take in His Word, as you pray to Him, as you sing to Him, as you serve in His name, as you speak about Him to others, let it all be done to take you to Him in abiding. Look at these three exhortations in your notes. One, Beware of elevating religious rules or creating religious idols. This is clear from the text. Beware of elevating your rules. Beware of creating religious idols. You could make an idol out of pretty much anything. It could be something really good, but you can make an idol out of it. You can make an idol out of your way of doing things, your rules. I'll tell you one way that you know that you've elevated your rules. You know that you've elevated your rules when it angers you that other people don't keep your rules. When you feel very convicted about something and you have created a rule for yourself about how you're going to live and what you're going to stay away from and what you're going to engage in, what you're not going to engage in. And you look around and you see people touching and handling and tasting and doing the things that you aren't and that angers you and makes you bitter toward them, or you feel that you're more godly than they are, you have elevated your rules. And you have made it about your rules and not about Jesus. And we are all susceptible to that. We probably will all at some time have judgment passed on us because we're not keeping a rule. But we will also all probably judge someone else because they're not keeping our rules. 
Trust in the Spirit of God in a believer. Trust in Christ in a believer. He is able to convict all of His followers what they need in the right time. If, if, if you should follow a rule, listen to what He says. And then don't look at Him and say, well, why are you not telling all these other people in my church to do it? I had that happen to me one time. I, I felt very strongly the Lord told me to lay something aside that had an incredible incredible hold on my life. And I felt very strongly I needed to lay it aside. I made a couple of mistakes. One of them is I publicly proclaimed what I was going to be laying aside. But afterwards, Terry Benton, who's not here this morning, he walked up to me and handed me a piece of paper a decade ago. And I, I went home and read the paper and he said, he said something like, I admire you for following Christ. I want to give you a warning. When you feel very strongly that God has told you to do something, you will find yourself angry when other people don't do the same thing. And you know what? He was exactly right. Because the whole time I was laying that thing aside, I was looking at everybody else who wasn't, and I was mad. And I was ultimately really mad because God was asking me to lay it aside and not asking anybody else. When you relate to other people because they aren't keeping your rules, I know I'm running out of time, but I, I just want to say this. That's not the same thing as having a brother come to you and say, hey, I know that you're in the middle of this business dealing and I've heard you talking and it seems like you're cheating that person. And, and I just want to share with you that I, I don't, I'm concerned about that. I, have you really prayed about that? Okay. If your response to that is, uh, uh oh, hey, don't judge me. Don't push your rules and regulations on me. Okay, remember, thin line. Being encouraged and exhorted and even admonished by a brother or a sister privately who's concerned about you is not the same thing as them pushing their rules and regulations on you when they are concerned with you about the Word. There is a difference. May the Lord show us that. Secondly, regard spiritual discipline as profitable, but regard Christ as ultimate. Regard spiritual discipline as profitable, but regard Christ as ultimate. Fasting, disciplining yourself for godliness, praying, getting up early, all those things are profitable. Paul said that later in one of his letters, think to Timothy. He said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You discipline yourself for physical health, and that's good. It's even more beneficial when you actually discipline yourself for godliness. Do that, but don't trust in your disciplines. Don't, don't trust in the fast. You're not godly because you're fasting. Don't trust in your prayers. You're not godly because you're praying. If so, all the world religions would be godly because many of them pray. Trust in Christ. Do your disciplines to take you to Jesus. And then finally, war against sin and all of its deadly effects with the life of Christ. 
war against sin. Sin is deadly. It is. It is deadly even for a Christian. As a believer, you give in to sin. As a true believer, you're in Christ. Christ is in you. You with Christ. You're in God. So, it's not an issue of your eternal security, but you can wreck your family with sin. You can create sorrow and trouble with your sin. You can cause suffering to yourself and others with your sin. Battle it. But how do you battle it? Don't trust in your asceticism. Trust in Christ. Make your trust in Him. Remember that picture. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. Galatians chapter 2. I think it's verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That is a powerful verse. Galatians 2.20. Memorize that one. That, but don't let me put that rule on you. I'm just saying it would be a good thing for you to do. <laughs> you kill the indulgence of the flesh. That's what this talked about. It, it is good in Colossians 2 at the end. These, the self-made religion has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Stopping the indulgence of the flesh is a goal, an aim for your Christian life. But Paul is saying it is not self-made religion that is going to do that. Your battle of sin must be by the life of Christ. Ask Jesus to help you. Ask Jesus to make His life abundant in you. Go to Psalm 15 and say, Jesus, I want Your life to come through me and shine through me. I want You to live this life in me and through me. I want You to help me set aside the sin that I find myself being wrecked by over and over. Help me to set it aside. Trust in Him. Ask Him for that. Do what He says. He will speak to you. He will lead you. Listen to Him. That is how you kill the indulgence of the flesh. Not by self-made religion. 